0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And we did a program this morning uh, that was looking at a party that is establishing itself in South Africa to deal with what they perceive as a certain amount of corruption coming into the government, coming into society in in general. And uh, they started reading one of our books and wanted to have us look at some things and were asking some questions and we were going over some of those questions. It's the Kingdom Governance Movement, and I guess it would be a party. And it was started by Kengali Motamala, who is, was a member of the ANC and held office there and now he was starting this other movement and looking for, to apply more kingdom principles in the existing government that uh, is there in South Africa that he thinks some people are kind of going in the wrong direction. And so, he wrote a very long letter to us and was asking a number of very good questions. And so we were trying to go over it on the two hours this morning. And uh, now we're going to spend another hour, hour and a half trying to go over the rest of it. And uh, one of the things that we talked about this morning just briefly was uh, the fact that he talked about Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus Christ, restore the covenant of the kingdom of God on earth, so that the covenant citizens, families, communities, etc., would be this kind of nation of God on earth. Now, exactly what that looks like, you know, to unpack that is is what we were talking about, that uh, it really doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to get rid of your existing governments. Jesus didn't come and get rid of the Roman government. He didn't even really attack the existing Sanhedrin that was operating like a legislature at that particular time. That's not what the original Sanhedrin was supposed to be. It was supposed to be kind of a guiding light of uh, spiritual wise individuals who from that pool you would continue and fulfill the tens, hundreds and thousands that was the network that was Israel. And uh, they were chosen by Moses, and you know, taken to the temple and introduced to, their because they were holy men, so to speak. They were, they were aware, they were awake, they were unselfish, they were righteous men, as close to righteousness as you can get, evidently. And that's what the original Sanhedrin was. And we've done shows on the Sanhedrin, and we have a web page on on the Sanhedrin that talk about. What had happened was this Sanhedrin became this legislative body that was ruling over the people, making laws, regulating them, taxing them, uh taking funds from them and redistributing it. And, of course, what happens is that power to do that often corrupts the legislature. And just as it, you know, Saul was a great guy, but you gave him too much power and he was corrupted. David was corrupted uh, he repented often and had many opportunities to repent because he was corrupted, too, by that power. But he was a king after God's own heart because he did backtrack when he saw himself going off the path. And we talked up briefly this morning about the uh, five things that the Bible tells you to put in the Constitution and to write down, put in the Constitution and read to your leader every day if you're going to have a leader who can exercise authority. And uh, you can find all that in Deuteronomy, and you can also find our breaking that down in the book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, which is at our websites and free online. So you can go read it without having to pay us a dime. We give it away for free. Uh, because you can't start a free society by charging everybody to join. <laughs> so anyway, but there is a cost in joining. And that joining is that you have to sit down together in the tens, hundreds, the thousands. And you have to actually start caring about the rights and responsibilities of a free government. And uh that means caring about the rights and responsibilities of your neighbor as much as yourself. In the course of going over the things this morning, he brought up one particular Bible quote, which is Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20, and we read that, and that's, of course, what some people call the Great Commission, which is, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Well, that baptizing was not just with water, it's with the Spirit of Christ and the character of Christ. Because John the Baptist says, I only baptize you with water, but there's one who comes after me that baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, when you're baptizing people, you need to be baptizing with this uh Holy Spirit, whatever that means. Which we could do a couple of shows on that and probably have. But the next line, which is a part of what he was quoting was teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. So, evidently, you have to do the things that whatsoever he has commanded you, and then he will be with you always. You know, Christ died that you might be saved. You're not going to be saved unless you love him. You can't just know that he is who he says he is, The devil knows who he is. He just doesn't do what God said to do. And so you have to do what he commanded. And one of the things he commanded was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, of thousands. And his, he took the kingdom, a government, away from the Pharisees, appointed it to this other group. He picked his own Sanhedrin, allowed the existing Sanhedrin to be there. You guys are cool. You go ahead and be the Sanhedrin. You can go ahead and have your Caiaphas as your high priest. But that's not what we're doing. We're doing this over here. We're not gonna to go to you for benefits. We're gonna, we're gonna go do this over here. And it's very clear that when Christ first began to preach and people followed him, many of the people who had followed John the Baptist were now gonna follow Christ. They didn't all do it yet. We know that because in the New Testament, uh, Paul, is going to Ephesus and he finds followers of John the Baptist who don't even know about Jesus Christ. They've been over in Ephesus. They hadn't got the word. They hadn't heard about him. So they hear about him and they say, Oh, okay, we get it. You know, and he starts a whole school, and starts teaching people about the kingdom and they begin to follow in the ways of the kingdom. And we can give you all kinds of stories, even after the the Bible, about some of the things that went on in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very important area of the Roman Empire. It was the home of what was could only be described as the World Bank of the Roman Empire, which was the Temple of Ephesus. They minted coin. They had the most secure vault in all the Mediterranean. Over 127 different countries had invested in that temple and had contributed to the building of that temple. It had been built many times but this time it was built out of stone completely because the last time they built it it burned down. They also had to move it several times because it was at a major trade route because a lot of the investment of the temple was in fisheries and in and cargo ships and stuff that were plying the Mediterranean. All big business, all big money makers you could go and be a part of that temple and you would get Actually, this is how you would obtain your social welfare, through temples like that. That temple was so successful, it actually was underwriting the social welfare systems of many other countries. People don't realize what was actually going on. They don't study the history. They're not taught the history. So I can't really blame them. But that was a government. All of a sudden, the Christians come into Ephesus with Paul and And they're saying there is another king, one Jesus. And they're accused of robbing the temple at Ephesus. What were they doing? Breaking into the vault? No. What was happening was that many of the people who were investing and putting money into that to start businesses and start fisheries and and transport stuff that made money. And then you would get that money paid back. And that was your retirement money. Now they were suddenly saying, well, hey, we're going to invest in the kingdom. We're going to invest in this other system. And, uh, because it, uh, the way it operated was much different. But the end result was that if you fell on hard times, these were your social insurance. This is your social, the church was your social insurance safety net. And it operated in a very unique way. And one of those things was that it was entirely organized from the ground up by the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And we wrote another book for the online, Thy Kingdom Come, that shows you how that this was used. The most predominant form of free government throughout the history of mankind was the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Well, how does that work? And I got another letter here with somebody wanting me to finish the booklet on explaining how that that tens hundreds and thousands can be formed now it has nothing to do with you know overthrowing existing governments or revolutions it's a revolution of the mind and a revolution of the heart it's people coming together taking back their responsibilities i just had a talk with somebody in government who, who was saying that the problem isn't the fact everybody's clamoring for their rights they want their rights but they don't want their responsibilities. I mean, I have said this so many times, and here somebody actually in government is saying it back to me. That's a sign, folks. <laughs> so, anyway, uh it's not that, as miraculous as that may sound, but the reality is we have to be teaching the people to observe all the things whatsoever Christ commanded. And one of those things is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and it's right there in the text. And yet people who read the Bible miss it and miss it and miss it and miss it. It's in in, in Matthew, Mark. You, you find it in numerous places in the New Testament. Of course, it was common knowledge back then, so that you wouldn't have any particular need to write it over and over again. So anyway, those are some of the things we talked about this morning. But we need to go on and move forward uh so that we can get through... Uh, Matamela's, uh, Mr. Matamela's uh, letter here, and uh, just to help him out. He sent us a bunch of other documents, and I haven't gotten to them all. I have other people looking at them. I was hoping they'd get back to me, but I think we have enough here to keep us busy for the next hour. So anyway, one of the things um, he's talking about is uh, any individual family, community, kingdom, and nation not built on these foundations is built on sand, waiting for disaster as it is happening in the world today. Now, of course, he was talking about, you know, certain biblical absolute values, ethics, and principles. Well, one of the things that, you know, and I haven't had a chance to converse with him, so I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know. I I did go listen to some radio uh interviews. I did go read some things about him. And I I read this letter and some of the documents that he sent me. And so, and he's right about so many things. But all you have to do is go off course in a few areas or miss a few important points. And it can take you off course. And so, if he's really going to be working in this, and he seems to be doing that, he needs to know where the people have to go. You can't the people can't get there from here, so to speak. They have to change. They have to repent. You know, they can't just believe in Jesus. They have to believe in the real Jesus. And they, they can't just be supposedly born again because being born again, you can't walk, you can't talk, the walk that you need to walk and talk. And I'm afraid a lot of people who think they're born again are going to fall away. And of course, we see that lots of people follow Jesus Christ and then he raised the ante, he said, Oh yeah, and also you have to believe this. Also you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Of course that means something. We have an article up that explains what that means. The important thing is that you you begin the journey. You turn around and start heading back the other way. And uh that's that's where we have to go is that other way. And so it's a process. And and the beautiful thing, like I was saying this morning, the beautiful thing is is because this repentance is a process, no one has to jump into the kingdom. You don't have to come out of the world. You can still work in the existing government. You can be a policeman. You can be a lawyer. You can be a doctor. You can be all these things and start turning your life around and moving in the direction of the kingdom. And so there's lots of different little things that you can start doing. One, of course, is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The other one is starting to care about other people as much as you care about yourself. Start thinking about the other guys. Start thinking about the repercussions if I go this way. Like socialism. Socialism is becoming very popular. Democratic socialism. Democracy is nothing more than where 51% of the people have the opportunity to take away the rights to the other 49. That's what democracy can do. Now, you can have a constitutional democracy, but if you're going to have that, then you want to make sure you've got everything in that constitution to limit the power of the democracy. And that's those five things that God said to put in your constitution. And if you read our book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, we clearly point out of those five things God said to put in a constitution, only one of them is actually in the U.S. Constitution. I'm not saying the U.S. Constitution is bad, it's a pretty good document, but it left some important restrictions on the government out. But that would work fine if the restriction was written in the hearts of the people, because the government would not have gone that way. But because it wasn't written in the people, because their ministers were not teaching the people and the Great Commission about these principles, Many of the things that the present United States government, Canadian government, Australian government, South African government are doing are contrary to those five limitations. And they get to do them because those limitations were not written in their constitution and because it was not written in the hearts of the people. And that's really where you need to have it written. It's fine to have them written into the constitution. That would have been great. But if they're not written in the hearts of the people, the people will simply change the Constitution and go the other way. They'll just disregard it. So it's that's really the way to the kingdom is to. So how do you write those biblical principles in the hearts and, and minds of the people? One is you cannot reward people for going the wrong way and doing the wrong thing. You cannot reward immorality. But if you created a government, that has executorial powers. In other words, they can exercise authority one over the other. Which Christ said, the church was not to be that way. The governments of the world, they might be, they might not be, but they get their power. Like Plutarch says, the greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. The more benefits you want from the government, the more you depend upon the government for those benefits, The more subject you will become, the more power you will centralize in that government, and the more corrupt it will become. You will become corrupt because of apathy and sloth and neglect of your fellow man. They will become corrupt because they exercise authority one over the other. When Christ appointed the kingdom to his apostles, who suddenly had to begin a daily ministration and take care of all the social welfare for all Christians because anyone who got the baptism of Christ was kicked out of the social welfare system that was operated in Judea. That rule was uh, clearly stated in, in the Bible that anyone who got that baptism were going to be cast out of the system. They were going to have to immediately, on Pentecost, set up another system to take care of the needy of society. It was going to be a different kind of system. It was not going to weaken the poor. It was going to strengthen the poor. But it also makes sure that nobody fell through the cracks. Nobody who was repentant. If somebody wanted to be lazy and selfish and all that stuff, well, they're not going to get the same handout. If they don't work, they don't eat. Rules written right there. So socialism allows you not to work and still eat. A guaranteed annual income allows you to get a guaranteed annual income and not do any work. You can be lazy, you can make excuses, and you will still be taken care of. And people say, oh, this is great. And I've seen some reports where they, they've tried this in some Canadian towns and supposedly it worked really well. But that's what they say. Let me, you know, let me go up there and check out and see how it works. Because it always works at first. I mean, socialism worked pretty good in Sweden at first. But Sweden, their culture was helping one another. They had to in order to survive in a difficult place. They were, uh, they had so many things in common as a community, as a society, that it was okay at work. But now, uh, many of the socialist programs that they had set up back in the 50s have been rolled back. And they're now privatizing many of these things. And they're a market-based economy. They're not really a socialist state. They still have socialist programs. So does the United States. So does Australia. Certainly China does. Many other places. But the the fact is, the more you gain the, and practice pure religion, the less you need of socialism. Like the quote I, I mentioned this morning. Socialism is the religion you get When you have no religion. Religion, according to James, is taking care of the needy of your society. The widows and orphans and needy of your society. Pure religion is doing it without the force and exercising authority of the government. That's what he means. That's why he uses the particular word world that means constitutional order or system of government. Again, I'm quoting Right out of the concordance, that's what that word means. So it's only pure religion if you're not using any government benefits that are provided by men who exercise authority. That is the goal. That needs to be where you are headed. You don't have to jump that way. People don't, you, there's, you don't, if you get baptized, you're not cast out of the system right now. When people got baptized while Jesus was walking around preaching the gospel of the kingdom and 5,000 men and their families, you know, twenty, 30,000 people show up, they weren't kicked out of the system. They were still plugged into the system. They may have had the government taking care of their family back home. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different stories, I'm sure. We We know they had a social welfare system. Set up in Judea at that time. Been set up by Herod and the Pharisees. And Herod had modeled his after the Romans. Who had set it up under. Well actually we know it was already started to some degree. The welfare state. They were moving towards that. As as early as 150 uh B.C. Because as the quote I was giving you this morning. From um, Polybius. He was talking about that very thing, how people were being, uh, becoming dependent upon a system that exercised force to obtain the benefits of the people. And that, that force that they were exercising was weakening the people. And, uh, You know, this is why he says the masses continue with an appetite for benefits. What is he talking about? Government benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence. And the people having grown accustomed to feeding at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, sounds like today, institute the rule of violence. What do they mean, violence? force take it take away from one group of citizens to to get benefits for another which is why antifa is out there you know hitting people and throwing rocks and all this stuff their force that's normally done through government is now biased and i told you guys last week up in portland uh there's a lot of antifa up there they've had a lot of uh demonstrations there and to placate them the uh mayor and the police chief have said told the police to stand down and let the rioters just have their way and they were running the traffic and directing even beat up people and the police didn't do anything and now they're talking about taking the guns away from the police in Portland uh they're down uh I think they have uh 120 openings on the police force The policemen have just left They've quit their jobs, left, and they're... So they recruited, and they tried to get people to sign up, and they had, you know, I don't know how many, I think there was about 67 people apply for the 120 openings. But only two of them, of of the people that applied, only two of them could pass pass both their background check and uh their drug test. So they're... They're having less and less police now. Just this week, which I haven't mentioned yet, the near, uh, the neighboring towns around Portland, who used to share police offices, you know, if things got out of hand in Portland or they they needed help, they would send their police over there to help the Portland police. And now they won't they won't send them over anymore. And more and more of the police are quitting, and it's it's just. Is going to become a bad place. <laughs> it's just going to get worse and worse unless there's some people start to wake up and really start to, you know, vote that mayor out of office. And the chief of police, his name is Danielle Outlaw. That's their actual name, Daniel Outlaw. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. So that's, that's a trend and it's coming out of the mind of people who think socialism is good that it's good to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of government. Totally against the Ten Commandments. You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's one of them. But you're not keeping it if you want socialism. Because Christ was not a socialist. And that's one of the things we're going to get into here today, is that exactly, why do people think that Christ was a socialist? What What are they thinking? You know, and he, he writes in his letter again that... uh uh, once again, you know, your focus on the kingdom assembly and councils exercising voluntary love and charity for all the poor, the widows, the orphans is highly appreciated. However, we seem to be weak in explaining the reason why God created a commonwealth for all humankind. And of course, we went over in greater detail this morning. He did not really create a commonwealth in the way that we often use the term today, like Great Britain is a commonwealth. It's not that kind of commonwealth. It's not the kind of commonwealth that Nimrod had. Because Nimrod was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. I know it says hunter there, but that particular Hebrew word is not translated hunter anywhere else. It's normally translated provisions or provider uh, or victuals. Uh, It has several different ways they translate it, which is one of the problems. But going back to the actual word, it means provider. And and that providing for the people, he did it by exercising authority, taxing some, attaining uh, the funds in order to provide welfare. Free bread and circuses, same as Rome started doing, same as we're doing now in most of these countries. The kingdom of God is a sort of commonwealth. But the wealth is not held by a central government or executive power. It's held by the every individual who comes together in this free assembly. It is not a common purse. And if you go read our article on, we have an article on, uh, if you go to Preparing You, you can look up the word one purse, which I'm quoting out of Proverbs. And it explains in great detail in Proverbs why you don't want to have one purse where everything is owned by the government and you get to use it, which gets into the area of legal title. We have a whole article on that. What does it mean, legal title? What does the word legal mean in a, opposed to the word lawful? Uh, they did create a commonwealth in Samuel 8, but God said, go ahead, let them have this uh, king, this chief executive officer. And, but let him know that he's gonna end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking and taking and and eventually you'll cry out and I will not hear you. So that's where he said that uh, they would go and of course that's where they did go. (laughs) And uh, they did cry out and they didn't hear him. And we talked this morning, what do you do to get God to hear your prayers? Well, As you judge, so shall you be judged. If you want God to hear your prayers, you have to hear the prayers of your neighbor. Of your fellow man. And how do you hear those prayers? You wait till it's in the news? No. You sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and you start learning about your neighbor. Caring about your neighbor. And actually functioning in a way in which you're actually helping your neighbor. So, he goes on to write in here, Remember... What God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 1620, uh, about wealth, the principles of working to prepare wealth freely provided by God from the foundations of the earth, and this this probably and he goes down and quotes Genesis two fifteen, uh, which is actually I put the quote in he just mentions it and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden. To dress it and to keep it. That is a very good quote to put in there, but I actually went and put it into the letter. It wasn't included. He just had the number in the letter. That's when I usually ask people, what was God's first commandment to man? Well, that's it. Dress it and keep it. Cause that, that's a, that's a direct statement. Dress it and keep it. So, two things. Dressing it is a job, and the garden you had a job. You have a job today. take care of the earth and Now, how do you do that? A lot of environmentalists think they're taking care of the earth they're not really very good at it. uh you want to learn how to take care of the earth, become a farmer, <laughs> you know become a come a shepherd like myself, and you start you know knowing what the soil is producing, knowing what the grasses are producing knowing what's in the soil how the soil works we just had three or four shows showing you how we're poisoning the soil we're poisoning the environment we're poisoning our children and lots of different ways and we're headed for one of the greatest famines in the history of mankind Uh, i believe that eventually millions upon millions will die i don't want you to be afraid of that i want you to turn around and seek the kingdom of god and his righteousness because it will take a miracle to save you now But if you turn around and start listening to the hearts and minds of the people in congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands, God just might hear your prayers. You, If you're going to be the prodigal son, you have to come back to serve. The second part of that command is keep it, which means you can lose it. You can lose your right to it. One of the prophecies, mentioned it this morning, is that God was going to return every man to his family. And every man to his possession. Every man should own his land. He should own his children. He should own his labor. No one should take away one day of his labor by force. That's God's plan. That is not what is happening anywhere in the world. Every place in the world you have, just about that I know of, has an income tax. You work 10 hours. Somebody's gonna take the value of maybe one, two, three, four hours of your labor. They're gonna take it, you're never even gonna see it. It's just gonna be taken away from you. That's the bondage of Egypt. That's in the, one of those things you're supposed to write in your con, constitution that the government could do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt. The, all citizens in the United States are in the bondage of Egypt. Bondage, bondage of Egypt, only 20% Of your labor went to the government. (laughs) In Europe, many countries, it's 70% of your labor goes and they call themselves free. I don't think it works that way. (laughs) So, so, uh, you didn't keep your labor. You don't own your children. Now they can force vaccinate your children. You you know, all the cries of the abortionists, you know, it's my body. Now that doesn't count when it comes to vaccines, not your body. They can they can do what they want. It's because you've returned to the bondage of Egypt. You have not dressed it, and you have not kept it. They're poisoning it, and they're destroying it, and they will destroy you. Now, who's they? Again, we see evidence of this spirit of evil when you see some mass shooter goes and kills his family, kills all these people he doesn't even know on the street, and then shoots himself. That's the spirit of destruction. That's not just in those shooters on the street. That's that's principalities in high places are doing that. And we may fall prey to it. But anyway, he he went and talked about Deuteronomy 8.16. And we're going to take a look at that and find out actually what it says. Because I'm not going to read it in Hebrew because we don't have the time. I'm just going to read it in English. But I'll mention some things that you might want to take and, and look up. But uh right now... Uh we're gonna have to take a break. I'll be right back. Well welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're gonna be talking about the kingdom of God. But anyway, so that I can read them to you because he, he mentioned them, so what are they really talking about? It says uh Deuteronomy eight sixteen Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers uh knew not? So what, what is he talking about here? Uh, was thy fathers knew not that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Well, nobody really knows exactly what manna is and how that manna was coming by and how it supplied them in the wilderness. And, but you know, we've and I haven't, I don't have anything that I can really definitively show you what was going on there, but I can sus- I, I pretty much suspect it was not what you think it was based on the description that is passed down. The language just doesn't pan out, but we don't need that. We don't need to go into that. I would recommend that you go read our articles on sophistry, artifice, uh, and language land. Uh, but just look up Sophistry at preparing You or HisHolychurch.org. Uh, also read our articles on altars of stone and clay. You can look up stone and clay or altars and we have, uh, articles on that or even just stones. What, what was this stones? Because, uh, in the New Testament they talk about lively stones and living altars. And uh, But the Old Testament, we know, that was just dead stone piled up and we burned up sheep on that. You think? Because at the time of Jesus Christ, the Essenes read the same exact Torah and they had nothing to do with animal sacrifice that was going on in the temple. They said that the Pharisees' interpretation of the Torah was a fiction and a fraud. So they read the same passages you read that you think is talking about piling up stones and burning up sheep, and they got something different out of it. They thought it meant something different than piling up rocks and burning up sheep. So what were they doing? Well that's what, you go read our articles on the Essenes, you go read our articles on altars, altars of clay and stone, and you will find out. And it's, there is so much to learn. Or maybe relearn or unlearn, however you want to look at it. But then he says, in verse 17, just to keep moving here, and thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Wait a minute, he just said, you know, gave you manna. Was it your power, your might that got you this wealth? But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is in this day. And it shall be if thou do all forget the Lord, do it all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve And worship them, I testify against you, thus this day, that ye shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face. So shall he perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. So how did they get the original Samuel 8 curse? It was the voice of the people decided that they would not have God reign over them, that they wanted a king, a ruler, an executive officer, a principus civitas, to exercise authority one over the other and provide them with their daily bread to force taxation. That's actually where, where they were going. didn't happen all at once. If you go read about the foolishness of Saul, uh, you'll find out what the heck was going on back then and why they got into so much trouble. Because Samuel came in and said, Saul, you're going to lose your kingdom because you've done this foolish thing. What did he do to lose his kingdom? It says right there, it's usually a poor translation on most of the translations. But if you understand what they're talking about, he forced an offering. That's what it says. He forced an offering for a good cause. But he forced an offering. In other words, that was the first tax in Israel. Up to then, it was all supported by free will offerings. Well, you can't go to such a government now. You you know, if you were to announce that in South Africa or the United States or Texas or wherever, it says, okay, we're going to all go back to free will offerings and see if we can support the government. Not going to work. And people don't know how to do that. You know, and how do you learn how to do that? Well, you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands start taking care of what you can take care of. It's a journey going back the other way. If you want to be free, you have to start the journey. Longest journey begins with the first step. First step was sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Repentance is a changing of your mind. That's going to come by the doing. God's going to enter in and help clean out your temple. You're going to have to be willing to look at the fact, I should not have been coveting my neighbor's goods. Now, if we go back there to verse 19, it says, Walk after other gods and serve them and worship. I have an article on worship. Worship is not what you think. It's not singing. You might do some singing and worshiping, but it, worship has to do with obeisance to serve. Serve who? Serve God. How do you serve God? God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you. to. do He can do everything himself. You know, he's not, he doesn't want you to give him your money. He, he doesn't need your money. But, you serve God by serving one another. God hears you because you hear others. You have to walk after that God that lives by faith open, wants you to live by faith open charity. But instead, you're walking after other gods. Remember this morning, I told you, and I've told you many times before, the first place that you find the word judges in the Bible It's not the normal word for judges in the Hebrew. It's the word Elohim, which is normally translated God's. That's what Elohim means. It means ruling judge. Who's the ruling judge of your life? Is it men who are deciding good and evil for you? What is good? What is evil? And now they call evil good and good evil. They say sexual promiscuity is good. And this is one of the the problems that he has is that they're promoting uh, sexual promiscuity amongst the teenagers. I don't know exactly how they're doing it, but somehow they're doing it through the legislation. I mean, I always remember way back, you know, years ago in Oregon that the Oregon legislature sat down and said, you can't be in a bar if you're underage unless it's a topless bar and you work there. Now they actually sat down and passed a law that you can be a topless waitress in a bar at 18, 19 years old, but you can't go in there to get a drink. So I'm thinking like, why would you make that law? <laughs> why are you doing that? It's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, I would be embarrassed to vote for something like that, but they, they evidently were not. This was years ago. It's gotten a lot worse than that now. So there's a lot of things that they're promoting now. But those are the gods that they're talking about. You're not supposed to make covenants with those gods. Well, the fact is, if you want their benefits, you have to make covenants with them. You have to sign papers under the penalty of perjury. That's swearing oaths. Jesus said, stop the taking of oaths. Swear not at all, he says. James says, above all else, stop the taking of oaths. But in your modern day commonwealths and civil governments... You have to take oaths because you're swearing allegiance to those people. And I'm not saying, okay, so some people say, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get a driver's license. I'm not going to, because you have to do it to get a driver's license. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I don't know if you have to do it to be a voter. But there's a lot of things, you know, that hold a lot of public office. You have to take these oaths that you're going to abide by the Constitution. You know, I'm sure that the Roman centurion took an oath in order to be the Roman centurion. Christ, when he saw him, he didn't say, you got to stop being a Roman centurion. But he did say, turn around, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What eventually happened is that many Roman centurions were cast out of the Roman military because they became Christians. For a long time, they could be Christians and be there. And again, even that question came up with John the Baptist. People were saying, what do we do to seek the kingdom? He says, You know, don't take anything by force. He he actually, first he says, if you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have any, share. Do the same with meats. Provisions. You know, help feed one another. Help take care of one another. If your neighbor needs help, go over there and help your neighbor. Do it in an organized fashion. Tens, hundreds, of thousands. I'm sure John the Baptist was organizing people in that way. The Essenes all were. And those tens, hundreds, of thousands. But soldiers came To John the Baptist and they said, what about us? Because they knew that they were under allegiance. They can't claim faith in this system when they're under allegiance in that other system. But John the Baptist didn't say, get out of the system. He said, you know, be content with your wages. Take nothing by force. In other words, don't take bribes. And only enforce laws that are actually genuine laws. Obviously, if somebody just stole something and he's running down the street, you can use force to subdue him. But you can't force, you know, a bribe out of somebody, you know, like I'm going to run you in if you don't give me a hundred bucks. Can't do that. So, but, you know, the fact is most of the Roman laws were pretty decent laws. They kept order. And they needed to keep order because people had lost the they didn't know how to live in a free society if suddenly you were to take everybody in the united states or say say everybody in south africa because that's where he's from in south africa and you suddenly say oh we're not going to have police anymore no we're not going to have the army uh we're we're not going to tax you anymore to support these things but you guys just all kind of work everything out yourself what do you think it can be chaos there's going to be blood in the streets. There's going to be murder and mayhem. Because you guys don't know how to live in a free government. So how do you learn to live in a free government? Sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start doing what you can do. At least take care of the widows and orphans. You know, and if somebody's getting robbed. I remember uh they were having trouble with people coming into stores actually in Europe. I have a lot of friends in Europe now. A lot of people we know in Europe. And they have these... You know, so many of these migrants are coming in and they just walk into a store and just start taking stuff. And you you don't have guns in these places. You can't stop them, so they just take stuff and they go out and there's a bunch of them. One storekeeper, he can't stop them. Well, they all have cell phones. And, And, you know, I've seen in some communities they do similar things, not necessarily for good reasons, but you just got everybody on speed dial. Everybody on the block is on speed dial get a bunch of guys come in and they're starting to rob you. You just put on speed dial. They're in here. I I got five of them and they're robbing me and it dials everybody, all the storekeepers on the street. Every one of them. And they come out a-running and they come over to your place and you stop them before they go through the door. (laughs) Because there's 20 of you now and there's only five of them. Suddenly they... The shoe is on the other foot. And why? How do they do that? You actually cared enough to come and show up. You don't have to show up with a gun. You just show up with twenty guys, and you can stop them. You can take all the stuff out of their hands, and you can run them off the street. You can maybe even sit on them until the police come. That's answering the hue and cry. When I was getting ready for the show this morning, I was pulling up something, and one of the program, one of the pages. We have a whole page: hue and cry. You can go look that up. that's what made America great is that people used to do that. they used to care enough to show up and help one another and that's but what you've done, you've lost that in your communities. And I'm sure you can find areas in- South Africa where tribes used to help each other, clans used to help each other, and now they're starting to look more to the government to solve these problems. No, you have to look to one another, and like I said this morning, you probably find many of these villages that are closer to the kingdom than you'll find neighborhoods in America because they're not close to the kingdom because there's so many people doing what uh, Polybius said. They've they've continued with an appetite for benefits and they're accustomed to living at the expense of others. And I saw it. I used to wear a badge and a gun uh back in my youth many, many, many years ago uh, half a century ago and uh, I would have to go and, you know, catch the bad guys. And, uh, yeah, I finally left all that because I saw that the people didn't back you up. You know, you, you subdued the bad guy. You had them there. The crowd was massing around and it, was, it could get dangerous <laughs> and nobody would come out. They all just went and hid. They wouldn't back you up. And I could give you a dozen stories about that. Just recently. Where people don't back each other up. Oh, They're they're big talkers. But they actually don't back each other up. And I'm not necessarily. Dealing with the thieves and robber thing. But at least deal with. You know families breaking up. Divorce what have you. Anyway we'll look at another little line here. Because I want to get to. One particular part of his letter. Because I think it's really important. They had to share it based on. The Omer per person. And that. Uh, principle was applied for individual families, both small and big, which continued tribal communities and the kingdom and nation of Israel. In what? The tens, hundreds, and thousands. So what is this Omer? You know, it's actually, the word is actually in Mem Resh in the Hebrew. And in Hebrew, every letter has a meaning. It actually, you know, mem has the meaning of something flowing. Resh has the meaning of something kind of of authority. You know, like, uh, like a father has authority in his family. So mem and resh is this, this flow of authority. But what is in? Ian is, uh, divine providence. I or well of five states of kindness or severity. So it has. So the Omar is this this way in which you answer the hue and cry. That's what it is. Most of the time, this you know we see the word Omar in Exodus sixteen thirty six. It says now and Omar is the tenth part of an ephah. That, but the Omar is not just that. Most of the time, the word Omar, like in Ruth two fifteen. It's translated, let her glean even among the sheaves in reproach or not. Omar, that word Omar is normally translated sheaves. So what does a sheaf of grain and a tenth part of an ephah and this Omar that we see him talking about per person? Well, if you understand a stock of grain, There's all these seeds lined up. That's a single seed. Tares are these weeds that grow up, you know, amongst the grain. They will not have that stalk of wheat. They will not have that, you know, where there are ten seeds or maybe more in a single stalk of wheat. Omar has this idea of this Ian Mim Resh. And this is when you start getting into this. And so what I did is I went and created, if you go to preparingyou.com, uh, I I've, I've put together an entire page about Omar. And it goes and it shows you every place that that word shows up. And guess what? Even though the word is normally ian Mimresh, resh there's only a very few places that the word shows up as Ian-Mim-Resh. They add letters. They take away letters. They substitute letters. I mean, that same word is the root word of the word gomer. There is no G on the beginning of the Hebrew word gomer. It's mem, resh, hey. has a hey on the end. Ian, mem, resh, hey. That's the only difference between the word gomer as in Sodom and uh, gomer. Uh, Gomera, as you would say. Because you put the You make a A A-H on the end just for the letter A. But anyway, there's a lot of other words. It's also translated deeper. Most of the time, like I say, it's translated sheath. So what is it? You, The Hebrew language is full of symbolism. And so you need to understand that. And you go back to the story of Ruth and Boaz. And, you know, they needed to decide something of law. Did they go to a court? Did they go to a judge? No, they went to the people. And ten elders in a congregation of ten sat down and heard both sides and decided what the law was. And they said it, and then they settled the issue that day. And uh, very cleverly. And the more you know about what and how they were really operating as a government, the better off you are. So anyway, it goes on in this other section. Uh, there ought to be equality in a seamless living ways of the kingdom of God he points out Second uh, Corinthians uh, eight fifteen which uh, eight 1 through fifteen I'm only going to read fourteen here, but by uh, an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply. For their want. That their abundance also may be. A supply for your want. That there may be equality. Maybe equality. Ought to be. Yes. But maybe. How is that? You supply them. When they have a need. In hope. They supply you. In your need. That's what Second Corinthians 8. Is really all, all talking about. That. You see, again, the world operates by force, fear, and violence. Uh, they have, they don't have, uh, hope, they have entitlements. They don't have faith, they have allegiance, and oaths, and they bind you, remember? keys to the kingdom is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven if you take benefits by from men who exercise authority men who exercise authority get to exercise authority over you like thomas jefferson said the government that can give you all you want can take all you have but in the kingdom of god you're the government and they're not you have to help one another through free will offerings through charity as it is written, he says, goes on in verse 15, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. So, what's going on here? That's a system of free will offerings. That's the government of God now this is the one i really wanted to get to I have to take a look at my time but we're going to have to take another break because that's what they asked me to do here and so we'll take another break and then we'll be right back to keys of the kingdom well welcome back to keys of the kingdom so what are we looking at in this letter now that i think was thought was so important that we wanted to get to one of the things he says in here is that they had to share it based on the Omar, which we just went over a little bit. What does that mean, based on the Omar? Based on, you know, a tenth of an ephah? Uh, based on uh, sheaves of grain? You no, know, it's it's based on this divine providence. I or well of five states of kindness or severity in flow from the authority of government. The authority of government is, again, is in the hands of the individual. Uh, Tenth, when they talk about a tenth of uh, Ephah, the people, the individuals are gathered in tens, groups of tens. Ten elders of a family. Ten fathers. Actually, usually it's a grandfather. And all his married sons and unmarried daughters. That's one family. Uh, and, and they may understand that in South Africa better than they understand that in the United States. But that's one family. A grandfather, his married sons, and all his unmarried uh daughters. That's a family. So ten men like that together, that's a congregation. It's a free assembly. You see that word free assembly over and over again in the Old Testament. You see the word free will offering over and over again in the Old Testament. You see the word sacrifice, which is the word Corbin, over and over again, and that's also translated free will offering in the Old Testament. You don't find the word charity anywhere in the Old Testament, but guess what? Charity is a free will offering. The government is not in, the governments of the world are not in the charity business, because they may give you stuff, But it's not from free will offerings. It's from forced offerings. They don't depend upon hope. They call them entitlements. But when you can apply for the entitlement, it gives the government entitlement to you. And that gives the government more power. And more power in the hands of the government is likely to corrupt them. I have sympathy for the people in government given more and more and more power. Because it is more likely that they will become corrupt and fail. So if you're going to create a government, you want to create one with all five of the checklist items from Deuteronomy 17, which we explain in Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. And you want to be empowering the people. So what I wanted to get to, and we just went through 2 Corinthians 8 and looked at that, but now we're going to go look at Acts 2.44. There was unity, oneness, of voluntary sharing inspired by the Holy Spirit within the Messianic kingdom community of the kingdom of God. He quotes Acts 2.44. So, I pulled that up. So, what does it say in Acts 2.44? And all that believed were together and had all things common. There's only two places where we see this phrase, all things common. We have a whole article on all things common. And this is where it gets a little touchy. It says, They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Who sold their possessions? Everybody? Everybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ sold all their possessions. They all became paupers. And they just lived off the proceeds? they sold their businesses they sold their uh, uh you know their livestock they sold all these things and this shared it amongst themselves so nobody had anything anymore doesn't sound like much of a prosperity gospel because what do you do when the money runs out because that that doesn't go on forever but that's not actually what they were doing they were not that they, they were not everybody was not selling everything this is where they go on in verse uh 46 saying and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple this is the same day that sold their goods they're working in the temple this isn't everybody this is the church this is the ministers of the church they sold their possessions why did they sell their possessions well, we have a whole article that explains that. Because that's one of the things that Christ commanded his disciples. They had to sell all their possessions, their personal possessions, their pers- land, uh, what have you. They had to sell that and follow him. Now, the truth is the church owned land, but they owned all things common. Who else did that in the Bible? Go back to the Levites. The Levites had no personal inheritance in the kingdom. They There was Levite land. There was a Levite house in almost every village of town. Uh, Sometimes many of them in the bigger towns. There were Levite homes. There were lands held in common outside of town where they grazed flocks. This is all for the Levites. But it wasn't any one Levites. They hold all things common. They were joint heirs. They had no inheritance as individuals. Everybody else in Israel owned their own land. They had no property tax, no sales tax, no income tax. They supported the government entirely by free will offerings. Now, you can't get there from where you're at right now. The people aren't ready. So what you do is you sit down and say, well, let's, let's just take care of the widows and orphans for now. <laughs> When, when the society begins to break down, well then we'll, we'll see what we can do then. And if we start listening to the needy of our society now, nowhere, you know, a hundred years ago, no governments were really providing for the widows and orphans and needy of, that was all people. If you go read our book, we have another book, Free Church Report, shows you how to organize a free church. And we go into a lot of this in, in more depth there. And we show you what Christ actually said the original language that we see it written in in the Greek text. And why he said what he said. And let, if you want to be one of my disciples, you must sell all you what you hath, it says in the King James. The word hath there is the word that means property. You can look it up. I'm not making this stuff up. Because they had to do with the Levites. They They were going to own all things in common. They were creating a socialist state where everybody owned all things in common. We're returning every man to his family and every man to his possessions. But the ministers were going to hold all things in common. And there's, there's some good points to that and there's some bad points to that. But God knows what he's doing. He, he, that was a requirement for the Levites. And it was a requirement for the early church. And we see there in verse 46 that they continued daily in one accord. Who was in one accord? The apostles, the 120 in the upper room, the other ministers who had to come on when thousands and thousands of families were entering this new government, picking men, sitting down by the tens, hundreds and thousands, picking men in local groups. You're not voting for somebody you never met. You're, you're voting for a guy for your ten man congregation and he's voting for a guy for his ten minister congregation. And you probably know those guys. Because they're local. But they're not taking offices of power, they're taking offices of service. Because Christ didn't create offices. They can't exit, they can't force the tithe from you. You share and then you do your best with what they give you. And if it's not enough and the people are selfish and slothful, then it it won't last. But the people who aren't slothful, who are giving and forgiving, they will begin to gather together and God will hear their voice. And then the miracles will come. Because you're it will take a miracle. So in 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Who is having favor with all the people? They! The ones that sold their possessions and goods. The ministers. They had favor with all the people. It's not all the people selling all the things and having all things in common. It's just the ministers. Now I can tell you this, if, if these wealthy, wealthy preachers that you see all over the world, I see them in Africa, I see them in the United States, that have all, and live in million dollar mansions and everything and they're supposedly preaching the gospel looking, they're not doing, they're not taking care of the widows and orphans. 99% of the charity in their church comes from the government, which isn't charity. It's forced offerings. So, I mean, right there, in that that little text right there, you see, praising God, having favor with all the people. Who's having favor? Those ones holding all things in common, those who sold their possessions and goods and parted them amongst the people and are working daily in the temple, rightly dividing, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So that's what they were talking about. And that's in 244. But that's not the only place you see this. So, anyway, I think we have enough time to go and take a look at some of the other places that we see this kind of thing. So, anyway, that's pointed out. If you go look up all things common at preparingyou.com, you can read the article with lots and lots of footnotes and links to others showing you how there's a continuity of the kingdom. The kingdom didn't change. God didn't change. People certainly haven't changed. But they have created false doctrines. And got you going in the wrong direction. And this is why you've all returned to the bondage of Egypt. You've become entangled again in the elements of the world. The constitutional order and systems of government. You have uh, become merchandise, as Peter said you would become. Human resources. Serving other gods. Other ruling judges who exercise authority. Decide what is good and evil. Saying, oh, it's okay that you're... You know, I mean, it's it's tantamount to child abuse in the United States where they're taking some uh 5- and 10-year-old kid and putting him on hormone replacers because he thinks he's a girl. He doesn't know when he's 8. He hasn't made those decisions. When I was 8, I wasn't thinking about those things. I was just playing, for gosh sakes. I went and learned to read and write. Actually, I actually didn't learn to read till I was 9. But uh, I was very dyslexic. I didn't see things like other people see (laughs) See things. So anyway, uh, so anyway, Acts 4.31, he goes on to say, Voluntary collective ownership, equal distribution of resources for their socioeconomic well-being. The probity for all. That is the choice of the individuals. Those ministers rightly dividing, breaking bread from house to house, had bread to break from house to house, Because the people donated it, those men were living stones, lively stones of an altar, exactly the way the early Israel was operating. You would know that from what you've been taught. But the Essenes knew that, and that's what they were doing. Most of the Essenes probably became Christians. That was the, I'm sure, I know some Pharisees did, probably some Sadducees even. Certainly some Romans did. Greeks did. So anyway, what does it say in Acts 4.31? And when they had prayed, they placed, uh, the place was shaken where they were assembling together. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. This is just the 120 in the upper room that believed. This is not the people. This is the 120 in the upper room. Why 120? Because there's 12 apostles and there are are 10. They're organizing themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands already. But only as ministers. They haven't gone out to the people yet. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the thing which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. Because Christ had commanded it. That they were to have all things common. Because God had commanded it back with the days of the Levites. I can show you the early church fathers said that the job of the ministers was the same as the job of the Levites. They weren't piling up rocks and burning up sheep because they weren't doing that. Go read our article on altars. Go read the articles on the sophistry and Artifice and Language Land and find out what it actually says in the Old Testament about that. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of land, etc., etc., of houses, sold them and brought the price of them that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Verse 36. Hoses who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. So that's who became Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of the consolation. A Levite. So he was already a Levite. And of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Why did he sell land? How come he had land to sell? Because Levites couldn't own land in their personal estate. Levites, if anybody bought land from a Levite, any Levite could come and redeem that land away from them. They could make all kinds of improvements, build a house on A Levite could come up and take that land away. He just redeemed that land. But that wasn't the rule anymore. When did that change? They don't teach you history. You don't know who changed that. God didn't change that. That's part of the corruption that came in. But He laid that money at the foot of the apostles. Do you know what it says in the next verse? <laughs> well, I jump to another chap chapter, and they begin the chapter with the word "but." I don't have it in front of me. But Ananias, who sold land, so this is—he's not just selling land. He's not just a member of the congregation selling some land and giving a donation. You know, he—I'll give. 10%, 20% of what I got when I sold my land. to the, That would have been fine if that was what it was doing. But Ananias wanted to become a part of this new network. These guys were working daily in the temple. They had taken over the temple. They were now the government of Judea. Thousands were accepting them as the government of Judea. They weren't getting rid of the other guys. They were still there. They could still collect money the way they always did, by forced offerings, the Corbin of the Pharisees. But most of the people were now moving over to the church. Because that's where the miracles were taking place. Because that's where there was no corruption. Why was there no corruption? Did you know that the living quarters for the priests at the time that John the Baptist was baptizing out there in the Jordan River... Their living quarters were more opulent than the King Herod's himself. And King Herod's living quarters were very opulent, to say the least. But the priests lived even more extravagantly because they had corrupted the whole system. They weren't like the apostles, working men, who went out and were actually helping people and organizing people. And now you had Barnabas, who was a Levite, repenting from the corruption Selling the land that he had in his own name, which he shouldn't have had. You know, so now we can get some of these rich preachers who live in these million dollar mansions. They want to come into the kingdom and and start seeking the kingdom in his righteous, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They may have to sell their property (laughs) and lay the money at the foot of the apostles. But if they come like Barnabas, great, because Barnabas, what was he immediately? He was put in charge of the funds because they knew he was an honest man. Ananias, who held back, said, "This is all," and it wasn't. He lied, lied to the Holy Spirit. Drops dead. Then suddenly, everybody who wanted to become a minister, they knew God means business. So, anyway, I just gave you a huge insight into the Kingdom of God that most people don't have. And uh, and there's a there's a I I know it's going to seem foreign to a lot of people. Uh, but the reality we, we've we've done a lot of homework on this. There's no way I could tell you everything in a single program, or single hour, or two hours or three hours. It just goes on and on. The layers and levels you find this everywhere. So all members of the Messianic Kingdom family, communities, nations must work and contribute towards the community development. Yes, in order for it to work, that's absolutely true. I'm reading from his letter. Anyone able to work but not willing to work must not be given any food. Well, I wouldn't say not given any food. But if he doesn't work, no, you should not support sloth. You should not support laziness. You should not support idleness. You should not support irresponsibility. They got to clean up their act. And a couple days of going hungry. I mean, if you find the guy in the ditch... And he's dying. Yeah, sure. Help him out. Get him on his feet. But once you get him on his feet, he better get back to work. You know, so it, but whose choice is this? It's every individual, every individual minister, every individual man, free soul under God who is supporting that minister in his work. You tithe to them according to their service. This is why I say it's elder-driven. The elder sees this guy is doing a good job. He's really sacrificed. He's not building a big mansion, you know, like Bernie Sanders or something. He's out there actually helping people. Going in, you know, like I I go into a family. We bring the father home from the hospital. He was supposed to die in a couple of days, but he didn't. He lasted for months and months. And quality of life hugely increased. All the sores on his foot, feet uh, disappeared the the big sore on his back was shrinking up, uh you in it, it was a big long story. But we were showing the family how to take we showed the government people how to take care of him. And he was getting better. And it, it was what he would requested to do. And and we picked that man, not because he was sitting down in the tens, hundreds of thousands, but because we saw him manifesting what we call kingdom tracks in his life. Now, it'd be a lot easier if all you guys would actually do what Christ commanded, (laughs) which is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is why we have Preparing You set up there so you can join a network. You can join one in South Africa. And yeah, right now, we don't have tons of people in South Africa. But yeah, and it's just an email network and everybody in South Africa may not have email. But there's always somebody who can get access to it. So you join that. You, you just start organizing yourselves into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You start taking care of one another wherever you, you need to be. Whatever you need to do. And, and you just start making it your religious duty to bless somebody else. In your congregation, in the next congregation. Maybe just outreach somebody on the street. You start standing up for what's right. You start coming together. Black, white don't make any difference. Righteousness does not know any color. Justice does not know any color. So you have to start coming together and doing that. So now I have a little bit of time left. And there's a couple other things that he mentions here. We're almost at the bottom. But... uh, so anyway, you can go read, we have articles up on, uh, you, we have the whole Bible on the website at Preparing You. And it, I've been going through a lot of it and I have footnotes over there on the side and the side panels. We have live links in the actual text to articles that we've written on some of these things. So you can go to Acts, you know, 2 or Acts 4 and it, it will have links to other articles and we're trying to put sound files with it. It's all for free. We just, we just put it up. Where you know I'm paid by God and uh the ministers uh that are with me that are uh hold all things in common. We need more <laughs> we need lots more, but we we don't need the slothful need not apply. <laughs> so anyway, he says something in the letter here that I wanted to address. This is totally different from liberal ex- exploitative free market capitalism, socialism, and communism. Well, now we have articles on capitalism, socialism, and communism all at Preparing You. You can go and read those individual articles. God is a capitalist. Capitalism is natural. But what do I mean by capitalism? What you produce is yours. Your labor is yours. Your children are yours. That's what capitalism... Capitalism is... You have control over the means of production and 90% of the means of production is your labor. And so how that unpacks capitalism is 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 just the private ownership of your labor, your being, your family, etc. That's what capitalism is. Now, if you want to try capitalism without morality, it's not going to work. If you're going to try capitalism without charity, it's not going to work. If you're gonna try, try capitalism without justice, it's not gonna work. But capitalism is not a political system. It's just private ownership of the means of production. You, you grow a tree, you grow an apple, that apple's yours, you sell that apple, you share that apple, you decide what to do. You, you're in the garden, you dress it, you keep it. I don't have a right to come and say, well, you know, you've got more apples than you can eat, so I get to take some of your apples. I don't have that right to do that. You produce those apples, they're yours. But I'm over here producing sheep. You want a wool sweater? you got to come to me. We'll make a trade. And the amount of honesty in our trading, that's not capitalism. That's free market. And you have to bring morality to that as well. Socialism. Is a political and economic system. You don't own your labor. You don't own what you produce. Somebody else is going to decide who gets what. Now in the church, in the kingdom of God, there's redistribution of wealth. You have ministers who rightly divide the bread, breaking the bread from house to house. You can also share without going through the church. You don't have to go through the church, but that's what the job of the, one of the jobs of the church is to rightly divide the bread. They don't have any bread to divide unless you give it to them. You have to freely give it to them and they can exercise authority over what you freely give them. But they can't exercise authority over you to make you give to them. That's, that's simple. That's not socialism. Christ wasn't creating socialism. So, that's, that's just important for you to kind of eventually Put that together. Communism, of course, is just extreme socialism. So we don't need to say much about that. And like I say, we have uh, articles on these subjects. So capitalism is not a bad thing. Uh, and then I have here the quotes from Leviticus uh, uh, 25.10. You can look them up yourself. Return every man unto his possession, every man to his family. That's That's what we should be doing. We cannot do that unless you obey the commands of Christ. And sit down in the tens, the hundreds, and thousands, loving your neighbor as yourself. Forgiving one another, giving to one another in an orderly, voluntary, loving way. And until then, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.